and turn it up to 10. Sort of like a bad habit, we gon' do it again. Ready or not, we're gonna tap some ends. Go tell a 36, try to grab all the friends. We're back like we never left. On track like a treble clef. Skip a beat on the seventh rest. Bring feast, we don't pass them over. We got the first fruits, no way to show us. This yoke is easy, this burns light. Even with a loud mouth trying to eat at the mic. Even if we down south, the humidity spike. Bales torn in two, so we gon' be alright. It's all grace till the half goes off. Heretics better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a jaw full of Botox. Time to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace, by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now one truth, life, one way to his throne. Wednesday, August 30th, 2023. This is Messiah Matters number 441. Cut your hair, you hippie. My name is Caleb Haig. No. <laughs> I'm Rob. Dude, is that shirt what I think it is? Is that Probably. Westminster Catechism number one? Boom! There it is. Yes! Dude, that's ah. like one of the coolest shirts I've ever seen. I got another one. I actually I'm got one of the more. coolest people I know, man. Oh, thanks, That's buddy. Like, you know, thanks, all you buddy. need is that new little bass guitar mini thing, mandol- mandolin. My mandola. What is it? It's right. There it is. Back there. There. It is. <laughs> there it is. Dude, it, it looks, looks like, like it's a tiny guitar on your shoulder. I think it looks like it's a real, like an actual size guitar behind me, but but people can't realize that it's. Okay, remind me. It's not a Mandalorian. That's Star Wars. What? It is a four-string. Uh, electric mandola very close yeah 
and it's uh, it's everything I've always wanted. I told someone the other day, I don't know if do I'll they ever have, play. Since we're going to be getting into 1 Corinthians 11 today, do they have woman, dolo, woman dolas too? <laughs> oh, 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 <laughs> or is it a person? you got to change that to be politically correct. It's a person dola. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I told somebody the other day I wasn't sure if I was ever going to play my cello again. I'm just having too much fun with this thing. You had to tell your cello. To mellow. I mean, people probably can't. Let's see here. People probably can't see it. The cello is actually right, right there. Electric There's the cello. cello, and then guitar is right there. Man, wow, this is so hard. Mandola right there. Personola. Uh, man, let's go the other way. Mandolin. There it is. Mandolin. Mandolin. Personolin. Mm. Yes. Okay, I'm done pushing on that. Uh, okay, let's move on. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome to Messiah Matters. And uh, let's see here. Got a pretty decent showing already in the chat room. Welcome, everybody, in the chat room. Uh, good to see you all. Uh, before we go any farther, further, let's uh, pull up our executive producers. Thank you, everyone, for, to uh, who is an executive producer. You're what keeps this show going. We are truly grateful. We'll have a new producer membership up for you. Uh, probably in the next couple of weeks. And uh, don't worry, Sue, I will hold you over through the fall quarter. And uh, yeah, because we just got uh, Sue just signed up for a for an executive producer credit. Um, okay. And uh, while that is going on, uh, what's been going on, Rob? How you been, man? Uh, well, there's a lot going on. You know, we're getting ready for School to start next week. Yes. Yes, so are we. Well, you know, getting, you know, prepared can for I, that. As, can can I tell you a story on that? Can I tell you a story on that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do. So, we, you know, we've I been like asked. Story. We've been asked. Well, I don't know if it's a story. Just a, I'm going to insert myself here. Um, the, the, the uh, we've been asked many times at Torah Resource and at Growing in Messiah and at Pronomian. Those are basically all of the sites that I'm associated with. Uh, whether or not we have a homeschool curriculum, the answer is always no, we don't. Now, Torah Resources is putting out a uh, family book, uh, and that was supposed to come out five years ago. Oops, I'm going to put up Torah Resource here so people can go check it out. Um, however, there's been snags and whatnot. It's being it's in its final proofreading. We should have it out. I want to say in the next two or three months, but every time I say something like that. It's it's another year or two. So um, so anyway, be looking for that. However, I've decided for my own family that what we're going to do is I'm going to put together a coming of age book, and it's going to teach basically the basic foundations to my children that they need to know before they would have a bar bat mitzvah or a coming of age ceremony or whatever whatever name you want to attach to that. Um, we probably won't have what people would consider to be a, a traditional bar bat mitzvah for our children. We'll have more of a coming of age uh, ceremony and uh, that kind of thing. And so I'm putting together a book. I just started writing it for that purpose. I have no clue what it's going to be called, but it starts, uh, I'm, I'm getting a little bit excited about it. It's a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. But I'm starting with covenants. I'm already I'm I'm going through covenants on pronomian right now, and uh, that's what we're going. That's where we're going to start with uh, the kids too. Is covenants. I'm excited. Nice. Yeah. What is a family book? Hang on, Paul Archer. Hello, uh, okay. Um, 
He's okay. Funny. Uh, what is a? Uh, oh, what is the family book? The family book. Okay, let's describe this. Since uh, yes, the family book is all of the teachings that my father put together. They used to be up on the on the website. It used to be all the all the kids handouts that my father wrote for the congregation that he teaches at Beit Hillel. And so they were kid handouts that, that uh, were geared more towards kids. But what we ended up realizing with those is a lot of people who were um, new to faith, new to Torah observance, new to uh, just, or just wanted some basics, actually enjoyed the, the children's lessons. And uh, so we realized that there was a significant amount of mistakes in them. We took them down off the website. We've compiled them into a book. And now the book is going to be published here on Torah Resource at some point in the near, hopefully not distant, but near future. And uh, that's what the family book is. Now we call it the family book instead of the children's book because we didn't want people to think it's only for kids because there's teachings on everything from an introduction to things like tzitzit and the festivals and the Torah itself and also, you know, all, all that kind of stuff up through the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer and, you know, all, all sorts of different things. So if, and I wouldn't say that it's, I wouldn't say that it's dumbed down, but it's put in a way that uh, not only parents will be able to understand, but children will be able to gain something from it as well. So hence, how, why we've called it the family book. That's not the official title, by the way. <laughs> okay. Enough yapping from me. See Hegg, Torresource.com, C-H-E-G-G, Torresource.com. You can also uh, call our comment line, 253-465-3205, 253-465-3205. I already put up Tor Resource, our, uh, who produces this show uh, on the screen, and we're going to call that good, except for don't forget to subscribe and like this YouTube channel uh, and this video. We appreciate it. really does help. Okay, let's jump in. I want to go to... Um, Okay, this is going to piggyback on, man, there's a lot to get to today. Uh, Cody wrote in, random question, are impurity laws still uh, irrelevant today? Are impurity laws irrelevant today? Now, we talked last week. Are they irrelevant? That's what he said. So we talked last week about Rob and my um, differing views from, from mainstream Christianity on the place of the, what many people have called the ceremonial law. We believe the entire law is still is applicable today and that there will be another temple that will be built at some point. I believe that the high priesthood uh, will be uh, administered possibly by the Messiah at that point and that uh, there won't be another high priest, but he will be the high priest in the temple at that, at that point. And um, so that is obviously a quite a different view from mainstream Christianity. So then the obvious question uh, that is attached to that is Cody's question, which is what about the purity laws? And what about those today? So do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Uh, you go first. Okay, not a problem. I will go first. Um, so I would say this, I think that the purity laws are uh, relevant in that uh, they will come back again right? When we have another temple, the purity laws will still be instated for that space. However, the purity laws were only for that space. Now, that doesn't mean that the that Israel didn't observe those outside of the uh, of the temple. In other words, uh, there, it's uh, 
there, there are mikvahs found outside of Jerusalem, right? So they certainly were washing and, and observing the purity laws. However, the purity laws were not for your average day. The purity laws were if you are going to the temple. And so let's say Paul is out in Ephesus and uh, somebody dies on him, right? He's holding someone in his arms while they're passing away and then they die. Now he's contracted corpse impurity. So what does he have to do? Well, he doesn't have to do anything. He's impure, but it doesn't make a bit of difference until he gets to Jerusalem. And then he has to go through the process, which he does, by the way, in what is it, Acts 20 or Acts 21, right? He goes through that process. It's a seven-day process of purity before he can enter the temple grounds, okay? So, so there's nothing that he has to do in those purity laws. Now, I think Cody's question is more to the idea of what I think would be considered uh, religious... Uh, like Orthodox Jewish law. In other words, if my wife is having her time of the month, am I allowed to touch my wife? Or, um, you know, do I need to take a mikvah, like a ritual bath every single time that I uh, contract some kind of impurity? And the answer to all of these things are no, there's no way that you're uh, able to keep the purity laws in our day and age today because all of us, every single person is affected by corpse impurity until the temple is rebuilt, until, uh, I think, until the Messiah comes, because I don't think you're going to have a, a pure temple until the Messiah comes. That's why comes they anyway. have these, like, have you ever seen these sensational claims? <gasps> a perfect red heifer found in Texas ranch or something like that. And then there's like the man contacts the rabbis in Israel, and then they have to securely, you know, how do we transport the cattle without damaging them? Because if there's any blemish, then it, because this idea is they're on this vigilant quest, right? This intense search for the red heifer, because why? Because that's how to, they're going to follow the the descriptions in the Torah about creating the the uh, source of purity. Right. This is right. there is no there is no um, remedy in the Torah for corpse defilement except for the ashes of the red heifer. I mean, they're specific. That's Numbers nineteen. If everybody wants to read that, so. The fact that you have the ultra-Orthodox Jews on the heightened alert lookout for Ashes the Red Heifer is because they're confronted with this very fact, right? They're confronted with, you know, yeah, we have all this halakha to try to right, keep these boundaries, even though there's no priesthood in place. Um, so, yeah, and so ultimately... I don't think I don't know if you would be able to get a pure like a purity. First of all, you can't get purity without the temple because and let, let's make this very clear. The purity laws are specific. And I've already said this, but I want to uh, this is important. This point is important. They are only in relation to the temple. Why? Because it is a picture of the gospel message. OK, God's God's present presence cannot interact with something that is sinful. God is purely holy. And so we cannot diminish his holiness. He cannot dwell, that is, be in covenant relationship with something that is not fully holy, right? Something that's defiled. And so the picture is that that a, a uh, animal must die, uh, uh, an innocent animal must die. This is a picture of the innocence of Christ, 
that then makes us clean. And then we are able to come into this space, into the presence of the Almighty God. And, And so the temple complex is a representation of God's presence, dwelling in God's presence. And the whole sacrificial system, the entire sacrificial system, is set up to show the gospel message of Christ and his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, and his making us uh, us clean to come into that presence. The interesting thing is that that doesn't go away in the millennium. It doesn't seem like that goes away in the millennium. We still have this picture being shown, right, within the temple temple complex. Well, I think I don't have it memorized, but in Revel at the end of Revelation, it says those those who are unclean can't enter this city. Now that's right. my paraphrase. Right, right, right. So, but, I mean, and Ezekiel talks about the same thing. There's another question that 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 is raised, and this is the question uh, that I think that I think the chat room is getting to, which is: Should Nida not still be practiced now? That is the question in the chat room. Well, things Nida- that God calls an abomination are are an abomination. They don't cease being an abomination. Meaning you what? Know, just Explain. because there's, if there's no temple. You know, there's things that are still an abomination, and and so, right, you know, that are, needs to be. Are you it's referencing? Like, is, it, is it? Can I eat pig? Because oh, are you so refer- what? I'm unclean. So, I'll just it'll just unclean. Are you referencing sexual relationships with a, with a uh, wife on, on during her menstrual yeah, cycle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's Let, well, that's that's the shorthand absolute, for nida. I know there's I, more to it than that. I absolutely agree with you. I think that that one, I think that that's not actually, I don't, there was a great paper that I have referenced numerous times. I think I have the paper actually. Um, It it was presented at the last ETS, Evangelical Theological Society. Um, And he argued uh, that, that uh, approaching, I'm trying to be somewhat sensitive. These are the laws of Torah. Well, you can't get around, you know, but for younger years, I'm trying to be sensitive. You can't approach a woman during her monthly cycle. Um, it has nothing to do with purity laws. It has to do with uh, God's holiness. And I tend to agree with him. Not the point. Uh, he argued that Christians should still observe that law. When it comes to the, the, the laws of Nida, there are a lot of Orthodox Jewish trappings, I think, that are, are attached to it. Um, if you want to, if you and your wife want to uh, attempt to practice those things, that is, that is between you and your wife. I, I don't think, I think that the law to not approach your wife uh, during that time, I think that that is certainly still an act today. Absolutely. No, hands down. But when it comes to like, you know, I, I'm not going to touch my wife because then I become richly impure. Well, you're already richly impure. So that's not going to make a bit of difference. Now, if you want to try to pretend that you're in Jerusalem and you're going to the temple in the next 24 hours, and so you can't touch your wife. Okay. I mean, the, these kind of things, I guess, are up to you. However, uh, it's you're not doing anything wrong or not wrong if you, you know, if you put your arm around your wife when she's uh, on, on her cycle. That's not... Uh, this, this, these are made up things, right? Unless we're in Jerusalem and the temple's built and there is a working priesthood and we're going to the temple, which, you know, Rob and I have, have hypothesized on this show before, whether or not, if there was a standing temple, whether or not we'd be allowed in or not. I don't think we would. They're not going to see me as quote unquote Jewish, according to their brand of Judaism. And the fact that I am not going to renounce Christ, they're not going to let me up, up on, into the temple. 
Well, not only that, there, there's, there's, whichever Jews are in charge, there's, there's Jews they're not going to let in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's not, it's not a Jew Gentile issue, even though our, our, our brain kind of wants sure. to formulate it. It's not it's, that. It's a, it's a Jew it's, Jew it's issue. Which, yeah. yeah. It's primarily a Jew Jew issue. First. What faction? Yeah. What faction is that? Is are yeah, you going? To, are you going to let into the temple? Guaranteed, there's going to be contention. Guaranteed in the Jewish world alone. Forget Gentiles. Let's say they, you know, somehow they plow the Temple Mount of of what's been there for what 1,300 years, and they build a temple and they have appointed Levites in charge, or whatever. Does do you think that's going to instantly bring unity? to the fragmentation in the ultra-Orthodox world, let alone the religious Zionists or the, uh, you know, or the more secular Israelis that are all technically halakhically Jewish, but they have ingrained ways of life that are irreconcilable and incompatible. Are they, are the others all going to repent according to the halakha of who's in charge? Right. Not until so, Messiah comes. That's not that 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 kind of repentance that brings Israel as one man can't happen. It's not genuine repentance unless it's from the Holy Spirit. Let's put it that way. Amen. So 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 it's not like all of a sudden that that the Gentiles were going to come to a unit unit unified Israel and they're going to say, "Sorry, you're not part of us." That that scenario is not going to be, you're going to go as a Gentile, me being a Gentile, and you're going to see other Jews excluded also because you're yeah. going to have someone saying, you know, our way or the highway. And the, our way is, is going to be what's contentious because you can have, you know, the the temple will not be in my, in my opinion, the temple barring Yeshua's temple. I mean, if there's some other right. temple, will not be a unifier for the Jewish world. Oh, any absolutely more, not. Any more than Jerusalem is a unifier. Right. Any yep. more than the than the Wailing Wall, the Kotel is a, is a unifier. Any more than than the the idea, the idea of the nation of Israel is a is a contensive issue. You have you have orthodox Jewish Americans who are anti-Israel. So explain right. that, you know, I mean, right. and, and so this is not a Gentile, you have Jewish Jew, Gentile wait, problem. You have Jewish Jew, uh, Jew, like you have Israeli Jews who are anti-Israel. Sadly, right? Yeshua, the, the, the way that the Bible, the gospel is taught in Israel is not a unifier for Jewish believers in Yeshua. Right. Right. Why? Is, I mean, so so the idea that if we are imagining the temple as this great unifier, it's only going to be that when Yeshua comes. And but that's a sword. Still, there's still going to be outsiders when Yeshua right. comes. It's not everybody becomes an insider when Yeshua comes. Right. So okay. So I I I do want to just you want to be in it. That's where that's where you want to be an insider. I, I want to address, this is a great question from Joseph in the, in the chat room. He says, what, what was clean and unclean in Noah's time? We've talked about this. Actually, there was a show that we did. We did a whole segment on this, but, uh, Rob, if I, oh, and I have to clarify, uh, on the mezuzah anyway, uh, remind me of that we'll do that next. Um, 
if I am not mistaken, Rob contended, and I and I think I'm right on this, that uh, the clean unclean did not have to do with food, kosher food necessarily, but had to do with clean unclean animals in terms of what you could sacrifice. I tend to agree with that, but that also would uh, fall into kosher and unkosher. In other words, right. so, so it, it, I agree well, with you. I, I would agree. So this brings up the question, well, then did they know it was clean and unclean in Noah's time? The answer is yes, but I still don't think that that had to do with uh, clean, unclean in terms of entering a sacred space like we're thinking. In other words- Right, it, that's why, because the word tame is not introduced. Right. Yes. Which is the word translated unclean. So- by the time you get to Leviticus, you have you have tehorah or tahor, pure, and tameh, which so they're they both start with a t sound, but they're spelled differently. It's a tav versus a tet, which sound the same to us, but, but they're different words. But it but with Noah, it's tahor and lo tahor, not clean. Right. Um, and there, there's an important difference there. We. Back to like if you're reading in Leviticus 11 or Deuteronomy 14, like we can eat like, you know, if you go hunting and you kill an elk, right? Or or there's a deer, right? There's different animals that are, you drain the blood, right? That meat is acceptable to eat, but it's unacceptable to offer. You can't, there you would be forbidden to take an elk <laughs> to the to the to the temple and just say, hey, you know, just got hey, a big you buck, go. you know, and like <laughs> this is I'm here for a fellowship offering. The priest would be like, no, no, you don't no, get out of here. Leave. Yeah, right? exactly. So so that's an important point. But well, so I, I I do want I do want to clarify this though. I do think that the idea of sacred space and being clean, that is not having sin attached to you is introduced even to Adam and Eve because they, they, that is the situation for the Garden of Eden. As soon as they sin, they are taken out of that clean space, right? They're taken out of that space and they're not allowed back in. And so you don't have a, a, another um, another recreation of that kind of sacred space, at least not that I can think of. Maybe I'm wrong, but not that I can think of, until the tent of meeting, right? And then you have the tent of meeting where, once again, a person now has to be ritually clean to enter this space. And it's, it, it's, it's a reference back to the Garden of Eden and being in that covenant relationship with God. So, yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, I need to clarify. So on... What, what was that? Was that... Our last show, or was it Mystery Bible Theater 3000? No, uh, no, it was our last show. We talked about Tefillin. I referenced that there was a changed letter in the mezuzah. Now, someone thought that I was saying that uh, that was in the Tefillin. It's, I, I, I don't have any claim on that. I don't know anything about the Tefillin uh, letters being changed or anything like that. The article that I referenced, I think... Now I don't even want to. I don't even want to guesstimate on uh, where that was from. However, I have not been able to find it since. I think it's actually in a written book, but I'm not, that's neither here nor there. Um, so let's scratch that from the record, or attempt to scratch that from the record. There, it is very possible that the person that I was reading was referencing the back of the scroll that the kosher scroll that is written on the back of a kosher uh, uh, mezuzah scroll. The name Shaddai is written. And then there is a three-letter code that is written that uh, I think stands for, and, and forgive me, uh, Rob probably knows this better than I do, it stands for something like uh, Guardian of the Gates of Israel or something something to that effect. Am I right on that? Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, oh, what is it? 
nonetheless, yeah. while you think of yeah, it, yeah, nonetheless, yeah. The, the point here is that I am now I don't have receipts to show you exactly how this would link. However, my personal belief, this is my personal belief on this. My personal belief is, is that the reason that they write should die in these three letters on the back of the scroll is because it's a holdover from the 13th century and on when the Jewish mystics believed that the, uh, that the mezuzah was an amulet that protected the home. And there are articles that you can find online on JSTOR and other places that talk extensively about the fact that the mystics wanted to write seven angel names on the scroll as a protection, as an amulet protection. And eventually the Orthodox won out and said, no, you know, we're not going to do that. And so there, for some reason, Shaddai and these three letters are still included on the back of a scroll. They're always written in the exact same is place. It, is it Shomer Dore Yisrael? Let me go. Let me, let me and so that's right. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. And so they're still written on the back of the scroll in the exact same place every single time. So if you get a kosher mezuzah scroll, you'll see the text on one side. And then on the back side, you'll see the this Shaddai and these three letters. I am convinced personally. Delatot, delatot, doors. Yeah. Delat is a door. Guardian so of the doors guardian of Israel. Guardian of the doors of Israel. Right. I'm which convinced. Which is Shin, Dalit, Yod. I'm convinced that this is a holdover from the, uh, myst the mystics. So the changing of the letter in the actual text of the Hebrew, um, I have no proof of that. I'm, I'm going to retract that. But the writing on the back of the scroll, for me personally, is is a big enough, uh, a big enough, uh, boy, what do I say? It's big enough that I'm not going to use those scrolls personally. I, that has nothing to do with anyone else. If you want to use a kosher mezuzah scroll in your mezuzah, that is totally up to you. I personally and my family, we have taken all of the kosher mezuzah scrolls out of our mezuzahs. We do not use them. We put in any passage from scripture that, that we want, that our kids like, or that we like, and uh, that obviously Deuteronomy 6, 4 and following is is a is pretty much the go-to, right? Um, and I've even thought about just writing passages of scripture on my, on my doorpost, right? I think that'd be pretty cool as well. I know somebody who did that at one time, uh, and it was pretty cool. Um, so this is not a down on anyone who has a mezuzah and has a kosher scroll. That's up to you. That's between you and God and, and whatever. I, I don't, I'm not commenting on that. What I'm commenting on is the fact that I do think that that's a holdover from mystical belief and that that's why I have changed all the scrolls out. That's, that's it. But I retract my, the, the first comment that says that, that uh, a single letter is changed in the scroll. However, I am suspicious that that is still the case. Nonetheless, I can't find it, so I'm, I'm going to retract it. Okay. Anything on that, Rob, before we move on? Nope. Okay. Let's move on. We have more. We have plenty more. Do we want to go to Curtis or you want to go to your uh, 1 Corinthians 11 first? What's the Curtis one? What's uh, the, <laughs> this is a comment on the deity of Christ. Okay, let's go to Curtis now that we're talking about it. The one true, this is Curtis... Uh, left a comment on our one of our YouTube videos. I didn't even look and see what YouTube video it was. I was just reading the comment. Here we go. The one true God is obviously Lord of everything, but, oh, I think this is, anyway, but obviously not all Lords are the one true God. The Father is the one true God, and his Son is distinct from the Father and is Lord, but not the one true God. You cannot say that the God and the Lord are the same thing. In Deuteronomy, the word Lord is 3068 in the Strong's Concordance. 
And this word is the yod Hey vav Hey. yod Hey vav Hey is the name of God, but has been replaced by the Lord. Those who have obscured God's name will have a difficult judgment, I believe. There is also a difference between the things from and all things through, as from, as from denotes the origin and through denotes path, me mechanism, and conduit. We also live for the Father and through the Son, which is also distinctly different. There are some major theological problems here. Well, you'd have to scrap. <laughs> you'd, have to, well, you'd have to scrap the all of the Septuagint. You'd have to scrap all the new testament even right. even that if you were an aramaic primacist you would have no gospels you even the hebrew gospels we have you'd have to scrap right because they're just translations they're they're they're, they're pick and choose and even if you found a hebrew that had the tetragrammaton in it it is them is people trying to deal with something that didn't have it and trying to put it back in so um, and then you'd have to scrap all the, the Aramaic Targums, so the Aramaic translations, you know, and you, you'd have to scrap the Masoretic tradition. Th this guy doesn't know, he, he doesn't understand the question he's asking. Um, <clears throat> so, so there's several, there's several passages that we could go to here, um, but you'd have to scrap Moses himself <clears throat> because the two the two bookends of the book of Exodus are Moses at Mount Sinai at the mountain of God chapter 33 right and then at the end of the giving of the uh after the golden calf where he goes back up the mountain and gets the second tablets okay in both those cases God reveals himself with the name Yod Hey Vav Hey but Moses calls him Adonai, Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yod, both times. So you would have to scrap Moses because you'd say, Moses, you are concealing what has clearly been revealed to you here, which is Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey. But Moses, now you could say, well, the Masoretes changed it. Well, now <laughs> you have no scribal tradition. You have no Torah and you're making up your own religion. Yeah, it's and and you'd have to go through all the times in Tanakh where God is called Aleph Dalet Nun Yod. Johnny it's, says it, it's <clears throat> it, Johnny says it best in the chat room. He says we can't worship more than one God. Therefore, Jesus has to be eternally divine. And this is the this is the main the main issue yeah. that I mean, outside of the the uh, the horrible misunderstanding that this person has on on Lord versus Yod Hey Vav Hey. Um, he says the father is the one true God and his son is this distinct from the father and is Lord, but not the one true God. This, I mean, perhaps one of the, the biggest uh, places that we're going to, we can turn to is Philippians two, where it says who, though he, that is Yeshua was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in a human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on an execution stake. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above all names so that at the, and now he quotes Isaiah, right? So that at the name of, but he, what does he do? He substitutes the name yod heh for the name Yeshua. So that the name of Yeshua, every knee should bow in heaven and right, on earth yeah. and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Yeshua 
is Christ, Yeshua the Messiah, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in that passage in Isaiah, the interesting thing about that passage in Isaiah is that right before that, Yodhe Vahave keeps saying, I'm not going to give my glory to anyone else. No one else can take my glory. I'm not going to give my glory to anyone else. What does Paul do? He takes that exact passage and replaces Yodhe Vahave with Yeshua. This is clearly a declaration of deity, clearly. And the fact that we, wor- we, we will worship Yeshua shows that he is God. Another place that we could go is, uh, is Colossians uh, 1.15 and following, right? He is the one who created all of the, the earth. Yeshua is. And yet if you go back to the creation narrative in Genesis, what does it say? It says that yod is the one who created all, all of the earth. Yeah, and you go to James 1.1. 1, 1. He says he's he calls himself a doulos, a servant of the Father and of Yeshua. Well, can you be a slave of two masters? No. It's because it's, yeah, it's, this is one of those, it's, it, I can understand why people get in this rut. They're trying, but they're, I don't know how to describe it. It's, yeah, Jeff says, yeah. who will set their feet on the Mount of Olives, yod heh or Yeshua? Exactly. Okay, uh, I, I think that most of our audience is going to know exactly where we would go, and, and we've already gone to several of those places, but uh, the, the whole Yeshua is not uh, yod heh is one that it plagues the, uh, the Hebrew roots movement, and uh, it's not one that plagues us, though. We're, we're solid on this. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about Rob's hair. Um, this is what came in. So CA writes in and says, on your last episode, Rob's long hair was referenced. I was wondering if y'all have unpacked 1 Corinthians 11 before. Should w- women wear head coverings today? Should men not wear ha- hats or covering uh, cover their heads in church? Should women not have short hair and men not have long hair? That is the question. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. You forwarded that one to me, so let me open it just so I can keep those questions. I don't know. Um, yeah, we're we're looking at First Corinthians eleven, like one through sixteen, is the biggest probably discussion they're thinking about. Yeah, I don't know where to start though, because well, let's obviously- just go. Let's just questions. <clears throat> we'll go back through it. I mean, so there's three main it's, questions. It, yeah, it starts in two though, right? Uh, now, should women wear head coverings today? I say that's up to the woman. Right. And if I agree with you, if there's a community that says, oh, women must wear head coverings, um, that's I'm a little suspicious of that. Uh, we wouldn't go. I, I, my family, my family wouldn't go. Yeah, that's so that would be a self-selecting kind of thing, like people who really want to do that. But my I'm just giving my answer. Should women wear head coverings today only if they want to and when they want to? And where okay, they want uh, to. So uh, I, I agree. I agree with you completely. But let's unpack that with the. Well, let me uh, can what, I let me give answers first to each of them, and then we we'll okay. go through. How's that? Just to, that go way, ahead. I know that I don't get rabbit trailed. Should men not wear hats or cover their heads in church? I think that's also up to the individual. So I right. would say those first two questions are up to the individual. Should women not have short hair and men not have long hair? I say I think that also is up to the individual. Yeah. So now, because I know that 
the the idea of short and long hair does come in to the, the passage we'll look at. So there's my answers. Do you have any different answers that I have? So I, I'll be completely honest. I'm going to defer to Rob and my dad, who I think have essentially the same uh, beliefs. However, I think that they're they come to those beliefs um, in different ways. So my father wrote an article on this. This is what I'll say about this. I, I haven't studied this enough to to have a to, to argue it one way or the other. Um, my father wrote an article on this, and I would reference this article. The article is called "Should I Remove My Keepa?" Uh, this was written a long time ago, uh, maybe, maybe back 20, in, 20 years, maybe I don't more, know. more than that. I think, I think this was written back in the early nineties because people at uh, the church that my father was pastoring were wondering why he was wearing uh, a keeper. And, and it was a source of, it was a source of, of, um, soreness for the people at the church. And so my father wrote this article. This is what my father says. I'll read his conclusion and then I will pass it to Rob and Rob can take it from there. This is what my father says in his conclusion. By the way, this is Offered for free on Torah Resource. You can find it in the article section. Should I remove my keepa? If you type in keepa into the uh, search bar anywhere on the site, you will find this article. Okay, uh, this is what he says in his conclusion. Cl conclusion. Paul is not referring to head coverings in this passage. As such, he was not requiring the congregation at Corinth. By the way, before this, he goes through a lot of the language uh, to come to this conclusion. So I would I would certainly refer you to, to this, this article. Uh, as such, he was not requiring the congregation at Corinth to abandon the Jewish tradition for men to cover their heads when praying. He was, however, reinforcing a Jewish perspective on the husband-wife relationship in which the wife receives a position of authority in the community by virtue of her marriage relationship. He also was stressing the importance of marking the distinction between male and female and the God-given roles each is to perform within the believing community. So that is what, thank you, uh, Mike, for posting the uh, the URL to the article in the chat room. You can see it there for anyone who is interested. Um, uh, that is my father's conclusion. Uh, I will pass it now to Rob. You know, we were just talking about that word, to'eva, uh, which is that word abomination. And one of the ones is, let me just scroll through here. It's sometimes translated detestable, something like that. Um, but uh, where I just, I accidentally scrolled too far. Well, How Deuteronomy 22.5 is one. A woman shall not wear a man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is a toavat uh, Adonai, it says, an abomination to the Lord your God. So that's just one, one example. Um so, yeah, there's a lot to talk about with this First Corinthians 11. Um, the, I, I agree. I think that there is something going on in Corinth that is, there, there's two elements. There's the popular Corinthian culture, which we don't know much about. And so we speculating too much can be problematic. We just like, what's the, what is Paul's point here? Um, Paul is taking us through, starting from the beginning of 1 Corinthians 11, through a kind of reasoning construction based on this fact. And the fact is uh, what he says in verse 3, Christ is the head of every man. This is the NASB 1995. Christ is the head of every man. Man is the head of, every, of a woman. And God is the head of Christ. Okay, so he's he's... He puts that on. But then from four in my in my reading, 
from four to through 10 because of the angels is not Paul's opinion. He's describing the rationality that he is encountering in Jewish communities that are saying that the women need to have some kind of hair covering because of angels and that man men are not uh because man is over woman somehow man does not have that same uh constraint that the women have they're not susceptible to this and i think paul say paul paul agrees he says yeah it does look like you know god made man first etc he made woman out of man and there seems to be this genesis scriptural foundation. But then in verse 11, he says, however, and that's that word plain in, in Greek. And I take that to mean he's like, I understand, he's basically saying this, I understand why people come up with this construction, but he says, however, in the Lord, dot, dot, dot. And then he offers a, a Yeshua oriented reading of the same passages from Genesis. And then he says, all things come from God, and you need to judge locally. You need to make this, there's an important judgment. You need to make yourselves as your community. And he finishes in verse 16, and this is, verse 16 has a lot of, if anybody wants to just look at some variant translations, pull up like the Bible gateway on 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen and see how the variety, but I think that NASB 95, the ESV has it basically right. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, literally, if anyone seems argumentative, if anyone seems to be argumentative about this, they need to know we have no other, we, we have no such practice. That's where the ESV beats out the NASB. We have no such practices, nor do the ecclesias of God. And that's referring back to the enforcing women to cover their hair because of the angels. He's saying the churches don't do this because we don't believe that. Churches do not promulgate this idea that women somehow, like somehow they could tempt angels to sin because what this is, is this is this, well, a lot of popular Christian readers don't make the differentiations that I'm making here. And they're thinking that the Genesis 6 reading of, of Enochic watchers or jubilees, which I reject, but, you know, <laughs> footnote, but they think that that's what's behind here, that women right. need to cover their head because angels will be enticed to sexual sin. That's a reading that's out there. People think that's what this is. Another, But then you'll see some groups will translate it because, that because of the messengers. They'll, cha- they'll take uh, the word angel there in verse 7 or verse, verse 10, I think it is. And they'll say, oh, that, that means because of the church leaders that it's, that it's going to affect them. If they see a bunch of women without head coverings, they're going to, it's going to put the wrong kind of thoughts in their heart or something like that. So you'll see, if you look at different translations of commentaries, different ways of playing twister, you know, to try to make sense of what Paul's saying. Uh, my view is that four through, I think it's four through 10. Let me just say it one more time. I think it's yeah, 11. Four through, four through 10 oh, is four through Paul's 10, you're right. explanation of a reasoning that he has is finding in the diaspora that he he doesn't agree with, but he's explaining, he's putting it on the table. And then he says, however, 
in the Lord. And then from there on out, he says, this is the proper reading, not the other one. And he says, you need to judge for yourselves. And then the last comment I'll say has to do with verses, I think it's 14 and 15, this verb komao, which is translated as to have long hair. It's it. Yeah. If a man, the ESV says wears long hair or to have long hair, it makes it, it, those translations are a little disservice because long hair, the word hair is not even there. The word long is not even there. It's a verb komao, which occurs only here in the apostolic writings only it's not in the Septuagint and the main Greek meaning has to do with hair, but it has to do with training. It has to do with praning one's hair. And, and I think he clarifies this where he says in verse 15, the woman who komaos is it's a glory for her and it's given to her by God as a, kind of garment. And so there is a, an, I, I believe my reading is Paul is saying there is a natural feminine adornment that a woman is entitled to do for her hair. That is part of her femininity and it's allowed and it's to be distinguished from females. Now, he, he would also say, like, I think it's in Timothy, he says, you know, women shouldn't be overly about their looks because that, right, there's too much. But Paul is just saying, look, there's a, a, a femininity of hair that has to do with the woman's uh, uh, right to, to do her hair, you know, and, 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 and be happy with her hair. And, and it's a kind of glory for her. And that's from God. That's not for men to do. You know, what I think is, I think of the 80s hair bands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With the big, where it's like Twisted Sister, you know, where there, where you do, you definitely see this, this trans, uh, this abominatory drag kind of thing happening, you know. Now, of course, that's uh, even Alice Cooper, who now is like a born again Christian, he says, but I mean, he made all his money doing this, pushing these boundaries. And so that's a separate conversation maybe, but back to the Torah commandment, clearly the abomination is where is God's law is saying there are, there's a masculinity and a femininity and that there are cultural expressions that retain those and those need to be respected. And I think, I think your dad might talk about it in his article. It's been a long time, but clearly those gender bending things are not new to our woke, you know, era. Right. Those go way back where you have the, uh, this kind of, uh, I don't know what you call it, this cross dressing, or it's not dressing in this case, it's where it's hair adornment, you know, where a man adorns their hair. And so, so there is no verb, there's no word long hair in, in first Corinthians 11, 14 and 15. And, and, and a side note too, is it's not, it's just part of the discussion is the Nazareth. If, if a man could never, if this literally meant not long hair, then Samson was transgressing because he was a, a Nazarite. He had long hair, right? And, and um, any Nazarite, which are both men and women can be Nazarites. That means both can grow their hair long and, and cut their hair. Um, and then um, of course, John the Baptist 
was a Nazarite, you know. And then, and then the question is, if we, if we take the interpretation that 1 Corinthians 11, 14, and 15 have to do with law, the length of hair, then all of a sudden I have to, now do I have to find an authority to tell me how long is too long? Like, does that mean all the movies about Jesus that have him having hair even down <laughs> to his shoulders? Like, you know, I mean, like how, at, at what point is it, how long is too long, Right. It reminds me of that. There was an Orthodox rabbi, uh, his name is Alex, but he came to faith in Yeshua. And of course he was in Jerusalem. He was a Talmud teacher in Jerusalem, got kicked out of the community, totally disowned by his family and everything. And then he, and he did this because he was reading the gospel of Matthew, right? It was forbidden, but he started reading it. Anyway, he came to faith. It was really a great story. Uh, never wanted to be called rabbi again, by the way. <laughs> no interest. Kind of looked at uh, Messianic Jewish rabbis as kind of, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, um, I actually came from that world and not right. interested. But anyway, uh, and also I think as a footnote, I think he and his daughter have done amazing work getting women out of uh, different kinds of kidnapping and slavery situations through stealth stuff in the Middle East, which is awesome. But one of the things was uh, he was trying to like, well, where do I fit in then? Because I believe in the gospels, right? I believe in Yeshua, and but I don't have a home. Like I, I'm not comfortable in churches. And so one of the churches he went to said, well, you need to eat, believe it or not, this is horrible, but it's like, you need to eat some pork, <laughs> which is awful. And so he's like, okay, how, like, on how what much? day and how much? Yeah. <laughs> how much? To, like, because how the much? idea from, a, from the rabbinic worldview is like you, if, if that's a true claim, then there, it needs to be a measurable like quantity. Right. Right. I mean, the whole is thing in the olive about the olive. Yeah. The yeah. Olive, like how much matzah do you have to eat? Like if you eat a, a piece smaller than like an olive, it's not, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't count. matter. Yeah, yeah. And that's why, like, if you accidentally, if you're eating raspberries and you eat, there's a little tiny little bug in your raspberry, you know, it's not like a big deal because it's, it's tiny. But if you ate like a, a big spider, a of you know, that, or, right, right. That would yeah. be like, wait a minute, like now you're transgressing. And, and that's kind of, you know, Yeshua says you strain the gnat and, and, but you swallow a camel. The idea is you're bringing a, a type of scrutiny to your life that does not actually handle the sin problem. Like you're at your scrutiny right. and precision to, to separate people from people by how, how uh, exacting you are in your observance. You're actually missing the point of the Torah uh, by doing that. Um, it's a great anyway, question. So I'll, I'll be it's, quiet for a while. It's, it's, it's funny. That, what's funny about that is that it's such a rabbinical and Jewish way to approach such a thing. <laughs> Right. But which is hilarious. Like, but on it's, what day, but it, at what time and how, how much? But it brings up. A and great, I'll do it. He's like, <laughs> it, it brings up a great question, though. Like it just what it does is it shows and reinforces the man-made nonsense, even by the Christian community of, oh, you, you know, now that you're free from from God's law. And you don't have to keep it anymore. Oh, it's Go just do awful. something. Isn't that awful? So the Jews, the Jews did the same thing to me, right? When I was in Israel, I said, they said, you know, I had this happen several times. Are you Jewish? No, I'm not Jewish. Okay. Well, then you shouldn't keep the Shabbat. You, oh, need, you need to, to transgress. You something. need to transgress the, transgress the Shabbat in some way. 
And it was like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? Well, you need to, you know, light a light a lighter or, you know, light somebody's cigarette or, you know, turn on a light or something like that. And to me, it was like, well, okay, I don't care about that stuff anyway. So whatever. But it's the same, it's the same thing in a different direction. Now that you're free from the law, go eat some pork. Okay, well, how much? It just it shines the spotlight on the nonsense of such a claim. Like this is what can you show me chapter and verse on that? You got any receipts on the fact that God wants me to go eat a ham sandwich now? No, of course you yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. What's interesting about that is what if the or you know what if the Jewish person says, "Well, I'm a vegetarian," <laughs> or "I'm a vegan." Now all of a sudden it's okay according to Christianity. Oh, you're a vegetarian. Never mind. We'll accommodate you. But if you want to keep kosher, whoa, 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 whoa. No, we have to shove uh, unkosher meat down your throat. It's such a weird, weird, weird claim. All right. I think we're going to cut it there. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're a little short today. It's like the first time in a long time, but that's okay. We're going to, we'll, we'll just we'll just clip it there. Um, if you have, uh, we do have, other oh, I see. We, I was just speaking one for Israel. I see someone said John 17 project promoting one for Israel. I would just say the opposite. <laughs> one for Israel is not teaching the Torah to Jews or to the nations. Uh, so I would just say warning. Uh, they're real big on marketing. Um, but they, they, they believe the Torah is done away with. And they are among the groups that will say, you keep the Sabbath just so you can get converts, not so because this, it has any meaning. This goes back to a different question, though, and a different so debate I, I that we've had. I would say don't do listen to them. But this, this, would, this, would be, this would go back to a different conversation that we had, which is, should people, should Christians, who, should we rejoice or support people who are just preaching the gospel and not preaching the Torah in Israel? Because we've had we've had groups before say, please don't, you know, if you're a Christian, don't come give the gospel in, in Israel. We only want Messianic Jews to come give the gospel in Israel. We've rejected that. And so while I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you, uh, the, the, this goes back to a deeper question of what about, uh, what about groups like Jews for Jesus or One for Israel or whatnot who have great... Uh, you know, have great, they do have great marketing, but they have Jews who have become Christians and now are teaching the, the gospel from a Christian perspective. While I agree with you that I think that the, that they are missing a huge slice of the pie, which is the, the covenantal requirements of the, of that, uh, each believer has, I wonder if we should say, don't listen to them in as a blanket statement, simply because if they're teaching the gospel, I mean, can't, certainly Jews can be saved through the gospel message, right? Well, they say they say they are. Right, right, right. So, I, I mean, that, that's a fair that's a fair pushback. If you say, let's say, there's a gospel ministry to a different nation, you know, and then they take on, let's say, you know, some tribe in you know, some remote place and they take on the practices of that tribe in order to bring converts. They learn the language. They, they, uh, if that, if, if that's the case, you know, and you want to support that, then I, I would say, you know, so I, I, I agree with you. I think that there is a major problem and, and I've seen this with Islam, like Islam, people going into the problem into though is it's, it's for me, the, the, Jews for Jesus and the one for Israel, um, really, they have a message for 
the whole world. It's not just a message for Jews. You know what I mean? That 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 what what I'm what I'm concerned about is the the trophy Jew. Right. For the for the for the Amer- or evangelical Christian church. I I agree with you. I, the other thing that I would say is because then I, it gets I, people excited about something. It's like, okay, wait a minute. Like, what are we getting excited about? And that's I, I just tap the brakes on that. That's I, here's the other thing is that is is I actually tend to your first point. I tend to agree with you on this. And and let me let me hash this out just a little bit. I've had I've I've known people who have gotten into ministry uh, to, to Muslims. To, to Islam, right? And they will go to a mosque, they will go into the mosque, they'll take their shoes off, they'll, you know, they might not participate fully, but they, they you know, they dress the part, they try to integrate themselves into the into Islam to then give the gospel. And I, I, I definitely have my, my qualms about this. I don't think that we should do that. I don't think that we should take on foreign pagan religions in, in, other, in order to try to give the gospel. I think that we stand firm in what we believe. I would say that a Christian organization that is going into an Orthodox Jewish scenario and taking on Orthodox Judaism simply to give the gospel, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think that this is right. In fact, I, you know, this goes back to my, this goes back to something that I've said that a lot of people have had a problem with. I'm not sure that that uh, Christianity or people of faith should be emulating Orthodox Juda- Judaism because I don't think that it comes. It's not from the first century. It, I don't think Christ was doing it, right? So there might be elements uh, that we see that that Christ uh, may have done, but ultimately, Orthodox Judaism as we know it today didn't come around until much, much later. And so the idea of of uh, Christian ta- not believing that these things are are right. But simply taking on the practices of Shomer Shabbos, Shomer Kosher, all these things, which I'm not sure a believer necessarily should be doing anyway, since they are fully rabbinic, uh, to me, that's where the problem comes in. Is that, are, are you with me on that? The, the, well, let's just go back to the first century. There was plenty of Jewish <clears throat> sectarian zeal in different directions. There were, there were it was already a, kind of like today, it wasn't what we call Orthodox Judaism, but they were real. I mean, look at Saul of Tarsus, right? They could be real zealous right. about, about their little posse. And that's, and you know, and that's Jews against Jews. Right. You know, Stephen wasn't stoned because he was a Gentile. He wasn't. So, so it's like, okay, well, why, why was he stoned? The claim is that the Torah, the the core claim of the gospel is the Torah is true and your traditions, you've made a new religion with your traditions. The claim of these groups like One for Israel and even Jews for Jesus is that they don't make that differentiation. They come and say the whole Torah is done away with. So then where is the judgment from from which forgiveness of sin has its meaning? So, but you but can't, isn't, there's no, there's no forgiveness of sin unless there is a judgment about behavior. I agree with a conv- you. A conviction. And, and if there's, if it's a conviction of like, oh, I've been living an Orthodox Jewish life and that's my sin, then I don't, I'm wondering about, I mean, just because, you know, I mean, 
what's his name? Who is it? Uh, Franklin, or is it Graham? Billy Graham, Billy Franklin, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham filled auditoriums and, and stadiums, right? Full of people preaching them the gospel, but at least my understanding of the the sociology of of what happens in the wake of these huge revivals is really a pretty poor return on investment in terms of even though you have an emotional high you have a, a like a a soaring kind of experience of emotional like joy and seeming repentance and transformation and then it's like well okay but what happens a week later, two weeks, a month, a year later? Where are these people? And the question is, where's the gospel message then? Is it? I, I totally, I totally agree with what you're saying. I, and I, I, I just wonder if it's any, if Jews for Jesus and One for Israel are any different than any other standard Christian uh, ministry. Here's the thing: is that any time, any ministry, I don't care what ministry it is. Whether a person is a Jew or a Gentile, if a person says, hey, you're not under the law, so come sin to show that you're not under the law, whether yeah, it's a awful. Ha- whether it's a ham sandwich or whether it's, it's a it's, or it, whether it's, it's adultery, it, like it, uh, no matter what, that is not the fruit of the spirit. No matter what you're trying to do, that's not the fruit of the spirit. So, so to me, I am completely with you on that. I, if, if Jews for Jesus is out trying to get uh, Jews in Israel to, to break the Torah, the actual Torah, then shame on you. Get out of Israel, in, get in out of ministry. Opinion, I, I could be wrong. It seems to me, according to scripture, that the Jews in Israel or in, in any, if it's in Brooklyn or wherever, there's a high density the Jews that are going to be effective are the ones that are living according to the Torah to the best of their ability, but are speaking against the rabbinic tradition and and centering their life on proclaiming who Yeshua is while keeping the Torah. And they're going to be a persecuted lot. Right? If they if they're trying to fly and sit in a place where they are avoiding persecution, you know, then what, what that's to me. That reminds me of the salt that loses its saltiness. It's, you're just going to be. You're, they're just going to walk over you. They're going to walk all over you. You know what I mean? I mean, why? why it, it. In other words, it's by saying it's more. It seems to me. Tell me if I'm wrong. I know now we're going over. It seems like <laughs> if, if I'm a, a a Jewish believer in Israel, it's more dangerous for me to claim. To, to claim and inter- live according to the Torah, according to how I understand the actual Torah as Yeshua taught it, and proclaim Yeshua, that's more dangerous than me saying, "Oh, the whole Torah is done away, and you need to con- you need to come to my religion and believe in Jesus." That's not as threatening. I, I think it's more threatening to say to tell the rabbis that they've missed the mark they've added to the Torah, right? That th- to tell the rabbis that their religion has added to the Torah and that they need to return to true Torah is more dangerous than to say you rabbis need to change your religion because the whole Torah is gone. 
I, I think the first one's more threatening. I agree with you. Good conversation. Anyway. We, we'll, we'll keep it going at another time. Um, and if you want to talk to us about that, shoot us email, chegatorresource.com, C-H-E-G-G atorresource.com. Or you can also leave us a voicemail, 253-465-3205, 253-465-3205. We'll be back next week with another show right here. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, you know why. Because Messiah matters. <laughs>